0: Well, the Mario Draghi, no-limits-inspired rally from Friday last week, Thursday and Friday actually, uh, ended on Monday with the Dow Jones down just over 200 points. The, The Nasdaq was down about 75 points, so an even bigger percentage drops. But today, the market reversed. The Dow actually recouped 100% of what it lost. It rose 282 points by the close. Not so for the Nasdaq. It only came back about 49, so still down on the two days. A lot of volatility, though, in the oil markets. Down big yesterday, recouping uh, much of the loss to get back above $30 a barrel uh, today. The bigger action, though, was in gold. Gold was up another $12 or so, back above $11.20. This is the highest price for gold since the first week of November of last year. Still, though, I think gold prices have a long way to go to where they should be. Gold stocks had a big update today, but they still have to rise about 8%, I think, just to get back to where they were when gold was the exact same price it is today. Back in early November, so there's a lot of lost ground that the gold stocks need to make up. Some of the battered down currencies in the um, uh, commodity space, the Canadian dollars had a pretty good rally, the Aussie dollar. Uh, I think what the markets are preparing for is maybe some type of statement from the Fed tomorrow. They began their two-day meeting today, and they're going to release a statement. There's no press conference, but there will be a statement. And people are looking for the Federal Reserve to acknowledge some type of change in the economy and therefore softening its stance with regard to the number of rate increases that they are projecting for 2016. The last time we heard from Janet Yellen, the Fed was on track to raise rates four times this year, and nobody since that time has said anything. To contradict that, despite what's happened in the markets, both abroad and domestically, and despite all of the bad economic news that has come out since the Fed decided to raise rates, uh, we haven't had a peep. Uh, So tomorrow is the first chance for the Fed to say something that might acknowledge that they've had a change of heart. And I'm not so sure that Janet Yellen is ready to do that. In fact, maybe the rally in the market that we've had over the last few days will give uh, Janet Yellen a reason not to show her hand. And of course, if she disappoints the markets and continues to pretend that everything is great and that she's going to raise rates four times, this market's going down hard and all of these gains are going to be surrendered. Now, maybe she'll try to walk a middle ground and try to somewhat acknowledge the problems overseas, right, in China or in the oil market or with just foreign markets, and say that the Fed is monitoring the situation in case there's some unexpected spillover to the U.S. economy, which is otherwise still in great shape, but that if it turns out that the problems abroad somehow wash up on our shores, well, that data may, in fact, influence the Fed's decision, and if it's going to affect employment and inflation in ways that the Fed is not happy with, that maybe it will adjust its monetary policy based on that data, and so maybe we won't get the four rate hikes. So, so she might try to say that in a way to save face by still pretending the US economy is okay, but that she's monitoring uh, the overseas situation just in case there's some unexpected spillover. Now, I'm not sure if that'll be enough for the market. Uh, if it is, then maybe uh, Yellen can buy some time and just allow more bad news to come out before she finally has to acknowledge it. But if the market just sells off, then the Fed is gonna to have to come back more quickly, uh, maybe send somebody out uh, you know, to say something more about the Fed doing more stimulus or about the Fed not raising rates. I mean, that's what they need to do to try to change the dynamic. But people are still in denial. You know, I read this article in the Wall Street Journal and I put it up on my, my Facebook page And it really was the equivalent of, you know, this time it's different. It was in Monday's Wall Street Journal. And basically the the article, the headline was recession signals are flashing red. And they've been flashing red for a long time. And the Wall Street Journal has been ignoring it. But what the article basically says is even though there's all these things happening that in the past have always led to recession, that this time it's different. And the article basically tells us why we don't have to worry this time. Why all this bad stuff? And they did acknowledge a lot of the bad stuff in the article. But then they said, well, we can we can rest you know, easy because we have this really strong labor market. And in prior recessions, the labor market wasn't this strong. And so therefore, since the labor market is so strong, then maybe all these other signs that would normally be flashing recession, we can ignore all those signs because we can take solace in this really strong labor market, which, of course, as I've said many times on this podcast, is absolutely ridiculous because there is no really strong labor market. That only exists in the eyes of the statisticians who want to proclaim the labor market strong simply because the unemployment rate is 5%, and they want to ignore how we got there. They want to ignore the fact that it's a combination of millions of people leaving the labor market because it's so weak, it can't produce the jobs that people need, or millions more settling for part-time jobs because in this weak labor environment, we're not creating full-time jobs that people want, high-paying full-time jobs, so people are settling for low-paying part-time jobs, and that is the secret behind the low unemployment rate. It really shows how weak the economy is, not how strong it is, which means the weak labor market is consistent with all the other weak economic data that the Wall Street Journal is acknowledging, but tells us to ignore because the employment numbers are strong, but the employment numbers are not strong. If we measured unemployment properly, if we counted all the people who were out of the labor force and were discouraged, if we counted those people as being unemployed, and if we also counted all the underemployed people, all the people who are working part-time jobs because they can't find the full-time jobs that they want, and the unemployment rate was well over 10%, well, then I guess the Wall Street Journal would say, oh, I guess it's a recession. Well, how can whether we have to worry about a recession or not depend on how the government decides it wants to measure the labor market? Because the labor market is the labor market, regardless of how the government wants to spin it. It is what it is. And obviously, if we honestly assess the situation, the conclusion is the labor market is weak. And so since all the data is weak, then obviously this is not something to ignore. We are either in a recession or rapidly heading to one. And the interesting thing about this Wall Street Journal article is if you read the comments, nobody was buying what the Wall Street Journal was selling. Everybody was was saying, well, you come on, right? Give me a break. You know, this time it's different. But, you know, the funny thing about the this time it's different crowd is they never seem to know that they're saying it, even though it is one of the most popular adages on Wall Street. And everybody knows that is the hallmark of every great bust. It's always different this time. It was different during the dot-com bubble. It was different during the housing bubble. They always say it's different this time. The problem is they always believe it. And everybody who's saying it's different this time, they will acknowledge, yes, in the past, people did believe it was different this time, but this time it really is. This time it really is different. That's what everybody always says, and everybody is always wrong. But these statistics can be spun any way you want. In fact, one of the ones I want to talk about came out today, consumer confidence number, and I'll get into some of the data that came out today and, and the really bad data that came out yesterday, but consumer confidence was a number that came out that was better than expected, right? This And this is for January. So last month in December, the consumer confidence index was 96.5. And for J- January, despite the big drop in the stock market, all this bad stuff going on, consumer confidence went up to 98.1. Now, how is that? How is that possible? Why are consumers so much more confident in January than they were in December? Right? And 98.1, that's a you know pretty high read, right? I mean, why is that? I mean, A, you can say maybe most Americans don't have any stocks, so they don't care what happens to the stock market. Maybe. I mean, maybe that's true. But they watch television. Maybe they see the news headlines. Maybe their boss might own stocks. That, that might worry them. But the actual reasoning is a lot deeper than that you have to look at the questions how do they determine whether consumers are confident or not right they, they take a survey they ask them questions well the reason that the number was higher this month than it was in december was because consumers were more confident about two things one they were more confident that inflation would be higher that prices would rise more than they thought in december Number two, they were also more confident that interest rates would rise, that interest rates would be higher. So because consumers believe that both consumer prices and interest rates are going to rise, that belief is taken to mean that they are confident in the economy. Now, to me, it actually would reflect the opposite. See, the way these economists think about it is that, well, if consumers think interest rates are going to go higher, It must be because they think the economy is going to be stronger. Because after all, it's a stronger economy that makes interest rates go up. And therefore, if these consumers think that interest rates are going up, they must believe the economy is going to be strong. And they have the same conclusion with inflation. If consumers think prices are going to rise, they must think that the economy is going to improve because it's an improved economy that's going to lead to higher prices. I don't think that's what consumers think at all. That doesn't even consider into their thought process. If you ask the typical consumer on a survey do you think prices are going to be higher next year or by how much do you think they're going to go up if they really do believe prices are going to go up i think that belief makes them less confident not more confident if you think the cost of living is going to go up that's not going to make you feel good if you know that the things that you need are going to be more expensive that's not going to make you more confident if you think your rent's going to go up that's not going to make you more confident. If you think your grocery bill is going to go up, that's not going to make you feel more confident about the future. Or if you feel your health insurance uh, uh, premiums are going to get more expensive. No, but according to the way they measure consumer confidence, the belief that prices are going to rise makes the consumer confidence numbers higher. The same thing for interest rates. Look, if you're a typical American and you're loaded up with debt, the last thing you want is higher interest rates, right? I mean, because you've got credit card debt. That's adjustable. Maybe you have an adjustable rate mortgage, right? Maybe you're planning on buying a new car and you need a loan. If you believe that interest rates are going to go up, are you going to be more or less confident? Most likely less confident. Crap, I'm going to have to spend more on interest. That means I better cut back someplace else. In fact, all the news stories, the Fed is raising rates. Yellen is raising rates. So obviously people believe that interest rates are going up. How can they not believe that? I mean, all the stories are about how interest rates are going to go up. Yet somehow the belief that interest rates are going to go up, translates into higher consumer confidence. To me, that means consumers would be less confident. If I thought my interest costs were going to go up, and if I thought my, my other you know, expenses were going to go up higher prices, I would be less confident. What would make me more confident as a consumer right, is believing that prices were going to go down, that I can afford to buy more stuff, that interest rates were going to go down so I can afford to borrow the money to buy the stuff. So these numbers also don't mean anything because they're not really measuring confidence. It's just the way the the surveys are set up. They just they claim that consumers are confident, but they're really not. Well, let me get to the number that came out yesterday that was really, really bad. And this was the Dallas Fed. And of course, the Dallas Fed is right in the middle of the oil country. So clearly, the Dallas Fed number is going to be uh, very much affected by the low oil price. So the Dallas Fed manufacturing number was supposed to be minus 14. That was the consensus, and that's that's a bad number, right? Anything with a minus sign is is bad. And but they were expecting an improvement from December, which was minus 20.1, which was a pretty bad number, right? Well, here's what happened. First of all, they did revise the bad number from December worse. They they went to minus. 21.6. I mean, not that much worse, but a little bit worse. But instead of improving to minus 14, the index crashed to minus 34.6. I mean, you got to go all the way back to the depth of the 2008-2009 financial crisis, you know, with Lehman Brothers going bankrupt and everything imploding and the Dow dropping a thousand points and TARP failing. You got to go back to those dark days to find numbers this bad or worse for the Dallas Fed Manufacturing Survey. And again, eh, nobody thinks we're we're going into a recession. The service sector, of course, is still showing growth, but that growth is rapidly diminishing. For example, the PMI Services Index came out for January 53.7. It's down from 54.3 in December. It's the lowest it's been in 13 months. I mean, it's still positive. Anything above 50 is still positive, but obviously it's going in the wrong direction. Same thing here with the uh, Richmond Fed manufacturing. because obviously not as heavily influenced uh, by the energy patch, but still going down. Last month it was six. Now it's down to two for January. I mean, that's barely positive. How much longer is it going to be before the Richmond Fed number turns negative as well? So we continue to get negative economic data. And the, the data that wasn't quite so negative is still getting worse. Everything is going in the wrong direction. And, of course, the wealth effect is working in reverse. Right? All of this wealth that people had amassed in the stock market, that's all evaporating. I mean, there's still some of it left, but who knows how much lower the market is going to go. And it will go a lot lower if the Fed doesn't come to its rescue. But I think what's going to even be bigger is going to be what's going to happen in the housing market because clearly the housing market is going down. You know, the last time the stock market bubble burst in 2001, not the, the 2008 one, but when that bubble burst, that basically provided the fuel to really you know, cause the, the real estate bubble. I mean, the real estate bubble did begin. I mean, real estate prices started inflating before the stock market bubble popped. But when the stock market bubble popped, all that speculation, all that new cheap money immediately went into fueling this enormous uh, real estate bubble. But this time around, I don't think you're just going to have a real estate bubble that's inflated after a stock bubble because that, that, there's too many holes in that thing. And by the way, the average American is out of the real estate market. I mean, this is a, you know, a hedge fund, private equity type market. And so I think both these bubbles would be bursting simultaneously. Uh, And that's going to be a lot worse. Now, yeah, those bubbles burst simultaneously in 2008. But the problem is now they're even bigger and the Federal Reserve doesn't have the, the fuel to blow them back up again. I mean, rates were at five and a quarter when those bubbles burst in 2008. And the Fed had a long way to move from five and a quarter down to zero. And then they had never done quantitative easing. So they got to do it one, two and three. Right. They got to do all this quantitative easing. To try to try to reflate these bubbles. They don't have all of that unused ammunition this time, right? Um, so what are they going to do? I mean, all they can do now is try to take rates negative, which is going to be you know they're studying it. So you know they're they're going to do it because they wouldn't even admit they were studying it if they weren't going to do it. They would have shot it down. And they're going to restart QE. And in fact, there was an article in Bloomberg. That was trying to assess what the probabilities were right now because they 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 recognized the Fed was in kind of a bind and they had five potential scenarios. And only one of those scenarios involved a recession. U.S. goes into recession and basically they said, you know, the Fed is going to fail in its attempt to lift rates. But even in that article, they didn't reference what the Fed was going to do, because in the other four scenarios, the Federal Reserve continued with its rate hikes only at a slower pace than what is uh, currently uh, in the timetable, the, the four hikes uh, in, in, in 2016. But in the recession scenario, they didn't postulate that the Fed was going to cut rates. They just said that, well, it, would, you know, it won't work. Maybe they'll, they'll kind of pause and just they won't do anything. But clearly, that's not what's going to happen. I mean, Janet Yellen has already made clear, based on her press conference following the September non-rate hike. When she was first asked, and I I mentioned this conversation on my podcast that I did back then, she was asked at the time what she would do if there was a recession in 2016 because at the time there was a a major bank that had come out and said there was like a 60% probability that we'd have a recession in 2016. And I'm sure if there was a 60% probability then, that probability is obviously much higher now given what has happened since that you know, probability outcome was assessed. Because now, given what's happened in the stock markets around the world and in the US, and the additional bad economic news, I would have to say that whoever, you know, handicapped the odds at 60% clearly thinks the odds have gone up uh, since then. But what Janet Yellen said back then is she said, well, I don't think the odds are that high. She didn't offer an alternative odd. But what she did say is she said, well, if it turns out that we raised interest rates, then we will cut them. That's what she said. So th- that's their policy. If there is a recession, they are going back to zero, probably lower because you don't get a lot of bang for that buck. How much stimulus do you get from going from a quarter point you know, to nothing? You know, it's like you know, trying to commit suicide jumping you know, from the basement window. You're not going anywhere, right? You, know, you don't have any out. So you're not going to be able to do much when you're starting from such a low level. So all they can do is go negative and they have to go for QE. But QE4 is going to have to be huge to move this needle, right? Talking about pushing on a string, you're going to have to push pretty hard, right? But you're still not going to be able to move it. But that's not going to stop the Fed from trying. The main thing for the Fed is how long can they hold out to try to maintain some kind of semblance of credibility? How long before they finally admit what they're going to do. But for me as an investor, what I'm more interested in is maybe not when is the Fed going to admit it, but when is the market going to figure out that the Fed is going to admit it, that it's not a question of will they reverse course, but how soon and, and, in, and how big are they going to do the next round of stimulus? Because even if the Fed doesn't want to admit it, everybody else should figure it out. And again, the important point is not that they were mistaken when they raised rates. right? They raised rates too soon. No, the mistake was believing that they could raise rates without precipitating a financial crisis. The mistake was that they lowered interest rates in the first place. Once they did that, they had already sealed our fate. Whenever they chose to raise interest rates, all hell was going to break loose. It didn't matter. There was no way to do this. That's why I always said that what the Fed was going to do was impossible, right? That was my joke about uh, pulling the table out from under the cloth, right? People kept saying the Fed is going to have a difficult trick to perform, right, to try to unwind this policy. I said, it's not a difficult trick. It's an impossible trick. The difficult trick is ripping the tablecloth out from under the dishes, right? That's a difficult trick. It can be done, right? The impossible trick is to yank the table out from under the cloth and expect the the cloth and the dishes to stay levitated in midair because the only thing propping up the markets and the bubble economy was the fed those were the only supports quantitative easing and zero percent interest rates you can't take the props away and expect the market to just levitate or the economy it can't happen yet somehow that's what the fed and that's what everybody else expected to happen well now it's obvious everything is falling apart and if the Fed doesn't want to admit that it's falling apart, obviously the rest of the world can figure it out on their own and position themselves accordingly. Also, I just posted a new commentary today up on the Europac website, Clueless in Davos, and I would suggest that everybody give it a read. But one of the things I thought about as far as why the other central bankers, you know, the, the ECB or the JGB, why is it that they don't want to criticize Janet Yellen or not even even criticize her, but just, uh, you know, advise her or uh, say, hey, you know, the Fed should consider more stimulus or the Fed should not raise interest rates because right? they're they're all talking about how they need more stimulus themselves. Right. The Japanese are saying we might need more stimulus. Europeans are saying, well, we need more stimulus. Well, why doesn't America need more stimulus? I mean, after all, the U.S. economy is also slowing down. In fact, if you actually look at the economic numbers coming out of the Eurozone, the European economy is actually improving. The U.S. economy is decelerating. So you actually have Europe right now on a better trajectory than the U.S., yet you have talk coming out of uh, the ECB, Mario Draghi, right? No limits to what we'll do to stimulate, yet not calling on Janet Yellen to help out, not saying, yes, Yellen, you should also uh, be be stimulating, Right. It's not just Europe or Japan or China, but the Fed should help because, look, the U.S. economy is also decelerating. And it occurred to me when I was writing that article, one of the reasons that I mentioned on my last podcast, I said, look, these guys just don't like to criticize each other. They don't want to uh, call into question uh, that they could be wrong. But I think there's a, a different motivation that I wrote about in this commentary. And it goes like this. The United States is actually the poster boy. The example of quantitative easing actually working. Because until America did it, it had never worked, right? Because Japan's been doing it for decades and it clearly hasn't worked there. So the only example of it working was supposed to be America. Now, of course, it hasn't worked here either. But as long as all the central bankers can pretend that the American economy has now fully recovered, that we have full employment, that everything is great, they can point to us as an example. Oh, look. You see what the Fed did? It worked. So let's do it here in Europe, right? That gives the politicians and the bankers cover because they want to emulate us. Because initially, Europe was afraid to be as, you know, all in as we were. But then when everybody assumed that, look, look what, you know, Europe, they were afraid to act. But Bernanke, he was bold, right? He had the courage uh, to act. I mean, if you don't believe him, just ask him because he named his book. He talked about how courageous that was his own book, right? He... He basically praised himself for his courage, right? Because he wrote that book and he called it The Courage to Act. So he's basically proclaiming he's a hero and pitting his own medal on his chest, right? And he's going around doing his book tour. But people believe it, right? Ben Bernanke was courageous, yet the bankers in Europe, they were cowards. And look what resulted. Those economies are still weak. But the brave Bernanke, who had the courage to print the U.S. economy, We had a full recovery. Look, we got 5% unemployment. Everything is great. The Fed can raise interest rates and shrink its balance sheet. It was a total victory, right? And because of that, that's why the ECB did what it did. That's why they lowered rates. That's why they launched QE. They were the last holdout. The ECB didn't launch QE until very recently. And it was only because of how well it worked in America that they did it. We were the example that they followed. If they now have to encourage America, the Fed, to go back to zero and do more QE, then they have to admit that our policy failed. And if our policy failed, why are they copying us? Why are they following our lead if we're leading them into a quagmire of endless QE and 0% interest rates? Only if they can maintain this illusion that the U.S. recovery is real and genuine, and it was the result of QE, can they justify the policy themselves. So the last thing they want to do is pull back the curtain on the reality of what's been going on in the United States. So they have to continue to pretend that our economy is strong uh, so that they can justify their own policy. But eventually, the Fed is not going to be able to keep up the pretense. The U.S. recovery is going to be shown for the sham that it is. We're going to go back to negative rates. We're going to go back to QE. And that's going to be a w- big wake up call For the rest of the world to abandon those policies so they don't go down with our sinking ship. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is. Truth and Media, recently, a novel thought is now a reality with TruthinMedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, TruthinMedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make TruthinMedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks to truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit TruthinMedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold.